I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Like to Movie Movie. My name is Dan Scully, and uh, I want to thank you guys for uh, putting up with that delay on the second half of our Lethal Weapon arc while we did some Oscars talk. And uh, now we're getting back into the swing of things. So once again, shout out to uh, Satoyo for recording his special and also shout out to Alex Perlman for coming in and joining us for that. Um, so make sure if you like the show, uh, you can follow us everywhere at Movie Movie Cast on all of the things. And as always, anything that you want that I do, you can find at scullyvision.com. But now that that's out of the way, we have a very special guest today. Uh, this guy is the founder of Family portrait friend pictures as well as broken bread he is a filmmaker he is a writer director of two short films and he has more coming down the pipeline and he's going to tell you all about it so welcome to the show woody fentress hi dan thanks for having me oh thanks for coming on i'm sorry that i brought you in right as you sipped your tea oh no it's okay i need this i need the, this hot beverage i need this uh caffeine so it's, it's perfect it's it's the right moment Oh, right on, right on. So, um, yeah, you you are here to talk about a movie that you brought called Forgotten Silver. We'll get into that shortly, but um, tell the yeah. listeners a little bit about what you do, who you are, and what it is that you've been working on. Yeah, so um, I am a filmmaker um, based out of Philadelphia, and um, I've been working on short films for a few years now, and I've been fortunate enough to continue to be able to make short films, even some kind of smaller and sort of micro-sized stuff through the pandemic, which has been, uh, you know, I've been felt really grateful for. And uh, so, yeah, the stuff that I'm working on now is kind of taking the scope of my uh, earlier films and trying to kind of expand on that, you know, bring in bigger casts and bigger scripts and bigger uh bigger sort of set pieces and sort of craziness in the films because that's the type of stuff that I love to watch and it's the type of stuff I love to make is the more insane the better so well I had um, the privilege of reading one of your scripts uh yes. and it's wild uh really <laughs> really wild stuff and I hope that I hope that it comes together and you get to make it because I have a vision of it in my head from reading it and I would like to see where that meets up with your vision of of making it yeah, um, but it's yeah, wild stuff. Quite the imagination yeah. you've got. Thanks. I, I really appreciate that. And uh, and yeah, that's um, up to this point. You and and one of the actors uh, who has been considered for one of the roles are the only people who have read that script. So uh, I feel <laughs> so, so honored. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and uh, and so I'm excited to keep working on that project. You know, that's one of my bigger, you know, bigger projects. I I've I'm writing, uh, I've, I've have a bunch of short films that I've written a bunch of, uh, you know, a new feature film that I've written. I have bigger short films that I'm working on. So, so right now it's all about just, you know, producing as much stuff as I possibly can and, uh, and getting to a point 
probably in the next couple of months where I can sit down and really kind of edit this bigger short that we finished shooting at the end of this last year, which I'm really nice. excited about. I look and forward so, to seeing it. Yeah, yeah. So so right now I, I just launched uh, my YouTube channel, which is Broken Bread, which encompasses all the sort of like greater media stuff that I do. So film and television uh, and web content stuff, it, it, the live streams that I've produced and uh, as well as like other media projects that I've been involved in. Uh, I uh, Over the last decade, I've built multiple uh, arcade cabinets that house uh, independently made video games. So you can see that awesome. stuff on there. That's so, cool. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so, so the YouTube channel is called Broken Bread. Um, Dan, you said you would link the, it down yes. in the description. So that will be wanna, in the show notes. Yeah, so if folks wanna check it out, and, and listeners, uh, when we did our end of year countdown, uh, the other guy on the show, Andy, is actually one of the stars of one of Woody's films. And so you'll have to check that out because if you want to put a handsome face to that sexual chocolate voice that Andy's got, uh, this is your opportunity to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. So so that film is actually a new enhanced version of that film is coming out and re-premiering in just a couple of days with nice. some updates that that I've made. So so yeah, it's a, it's a it's a good time to get out on the ground level of my YouTube channel. Oh yeah, because I'm trying to put out new stuff on there all the time and and keep people abreast. And you were asking about this the other day, Dan. It's the first taste people can get of some clips, uh, little bits of footage of the new film that's set to come out later this year. So, um, so there are little sort of teasers of the new stuff on on the channel as right well, on. trying to entice people to check out more stuff so well i encourage everybody who's listening to check it out uh over the coming months on the show we'll definitely keep you updated with anything that woody's been working on if you want to hear about it because i certainly want to see it and i if you're a fan of the show i can confidently state that you will enjoy it as well so uh have you seen anything good lately yeah, that's a good uh, a good question. I was thinking about it when we were talking just before we started, and um, I've been having uh, you know fun just kind of diving back and sort of watching movies that I've you know saw a long time ago. Things yeah. you know things that I saw at a time in my life where I think my my brain was a little bit more. Uh, you know sort of willing to just watch something and go I think it was good I don't yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's funny to go back with the lens of adulthood and watch something that either you loved or hated and then finally right. you're approaching it from an entirely different angle either because of wisdom of just life because of knowledge of how films are made or just a general taste change it is fascinating and it, it's even happened over where I'll watch a movie and I'm like ah that was garbage and then two years later I watch it and even just two years I go really I, I was coming at that from a completely different angle and now it's better so <laughs> Right, right. I mean, with any one of the hard things about being a critic is making peace with the fact that you put down these words, these words are permanent, but your feelings on right. a movie very much are not. Right. And yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. That's a really good way. Yeah, I think my I remember probably like 15 years ago or something, somebody, you know, said to me, like, I, I, I just learned today in this moment that Roger Ebert is the best film critic because I just read this review of him where the whole first paragraph is him talking about how he's having the worst day of his life. And he knows that that has affected his opinion on this film, 
but he doesn't care because that's how he felt about it. And he, you know, it's like, I just think that that's so true. You never know what point in life that you're going to be when you, when you watch something. My so. theory as a critic is the same way that I approached uh, when I used to do stand-up comedy. When you do stand-up comedy, the whole idea is like, I don't necessarily have to change your mind, but I got to present to you how I see what I'm processing. So like I function as a filter. And so an experience will go through me. It's funny to me in some type of way. And then I have to recreate that for you. And the same goes for movies. There, there's no room for objectivity, in my opinion. It's got to be completely subjective for that very reason. I, you know, I, I could count on both hands how many reviews that I wrote with the caveat of I was very tired when I watched this. And that changes a lot. It really does. Yeah. And so so to, to follow up on that question, what what did you watch and, and did your did your opinions change in this, this project? <laughs> well, so, yeah, that's uh, the. So the the main one that kind of sticks out was the Count of Monte Cristo. I watched. I just watched that last year because I Whoa, really? I was I didn't want it spoiled for me, um, but it was something that I always wanted to read. So I did the audio book, banged that out so that I could watch the movie. And, right, um, right, oh, right. that's wild. Yeah. So I I is that what I watched? Wait, hold on. I always get it confused with the Leonardo did you, DiCaprio. Did you eat a Monte Cristo? Yeah, I that... ate a Monte Cristo. That's what it was. Ah, <laughs> I counted happens. how many Monte Cristos that I had in my refrigerator. <laughs> and that, that, that got me confused. Um, wait, hold on. No, so I always get it confused. Man with in the Iron Mask? The Man in the Iron Mask. That's what I I watched. have not seen that. I've been meaning to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually thought all the way until the end when I watched it, I was like, Oh man, the Count of Monte Cristo. I knew I had seen this, and then like I, you know, it ended, and the and the poster came back up. I was like, oh no, I still haven't seen the Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> well, I can recommend it. It's not good. it. <laughs> this is not that movie. I've but, always uh, wanted to see that movie, and I, I remember dismissing it when I was younger as just like, eh, it seems like you know artsy fartsy yeah. shit. And now I I really would like to see it. Right. Yeah. The Man in the Iron Mask. I I was I was happy to see it. I will admit that like. 80% of it was on a second screen and I was like in the middle of an editing project. <laughs> and so, yeah. but, but it was, I would say the thing that was really cool about going back and watching it was one, seeing how many of these, you know, sort of now in my mind, you know, stapled Gabriel Byrne and John Malkovich and Gerard Depardieu and obviously um, Leonardo DiCaprio, these like, legends are you know in this movie that when i saw it i didn't have any recognition of any of those people <laughs> you, you, you know didn't i really didn't really have a grasp of the titan status of gerard right right, right. yes exactly you hadn't exactly. seen my father the hero yet <laughs> yeah if anything he was probably the only person i did know because my father the hero was my sister's favorite movie when that's we a were... funny movie <laughs> it's fun it's fun it's absurd but it's yeah. fun um I just remember that movie basically being the the pool scene from Mrs. Doubtfire, but as an entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, spot on, spot on. That was one that I remember. I rented that with my nana because there was like a summer that we were living at my grandmother's house while we were between houses, and so I had to come up with things that I could rent that I might enjoy and that she would not be offended by. And so oh we landed God. on My Father the Hero and the classic Danny Glover Joe. Pen she comedy gone fishing 
Yes. Oh my God. I forgot about Gone Fishing. That's a fun one. Yeah. I mean, it's not the greatest movie, but I'll tell you what, Nana had a laugh riot. Yeah. (laughs) And that's, that's really what matters. You know, you get to laugh vicariously through Nana. So, so, but, but, you know, going back to um, Man in the Iron Mask, it was cool to revisit it. Uh, I had kind of forgotten sort of like some of the little twists in it. So that was like cool to, to revisit but it was really funny just, you know, from not only the age and the wisdom elements of it, but also coming off of, you know, only being a couple months off of shooting something just to see the setups, just to see the lighting choices, just to see, you know, where they would cho- choose to jump to close ups or stay in these, you know, these medium shots or in these wide shots. Mm-hmm. And I, that movie is an interesting one because it almost it seems like most of it you're like what are the choices i i don't i can't really tell what what it is that they're kind of choosing to do through a lot of it it almost kind of seems arbitrary but the cool thing is is that uh you know the the people in front of the camera are all so good oh yeah uh, they're most all- of them are so good that you're just kind of like eh, it doesn't really matter you know it's just like as long as it's well lit enough and you you know you you keep gabriel Byrne in the frame he's gonna yeah he's, you're gonna succeed yeah you're gonna get you're gonna get what you what you kind of came for and then on the other side of the spectrum i finally watched all the way through i had never seen all the way through hackers and oh, i was man. like i was like i gotta watch this our buddy andy who you just spoke about you know i think he said he rewatched it recently or we were talking about it or something and oh my god that movie is atrocious like yeah. it is it is so it's fun through in parts, but it's like the the connective tissue that holds it all together is flimsy at best. And it uh, ages, especially now that we are a very, very tech savvy and internet savvy yeah. world, it ages in the strangest way. It's, you know, it's yeah. a lot of times you look back at old sci-fi and you go, okay, they were on to some ideas here. Even though some <laughs> things are dated, there's some connections. Hackers, that does, like, I love that movie. But that doesn't happen with hackers. At no point was that like they really are keyed into something pressure, pressure, you know, not at all. Not at all. But man, oh man, Fisher Stevens, a hero for the ages. I love that man. Yeah, Fisher Stevens is is definitely a high point in that movie. And uh who's the woman who plays his girlfriend, Lorraine Bracco? Lorraine Bracco. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's awesome. And you're like, what is her performance? She's an incredible actor, and in that movie, you're like, what is she doing? Like, is yeah. she, she, it's almost like she's like not in the movie and she's like superimposed. Like somehow yeah. they got the, the, uh, you know, the performance over the phone, but that's like, no, but I see her on screen. They hacked so her what, in. Like what is happening? Uh, but yeah, that movie is just so bananas and like clearly made by people who have never touched a computer <laughs> and yeah. just like, Oh my God, it's so funny. So so those were two recently that it was like fun to kind of go back to, go back in time. And all of it really honestly came from like spending so much time with The Matrix over the last couple of months yeah, and yeah. like rewatching the original films and diving into the deep lore videos on YouTube that people have made about- I like, did that as well in anticipation yeah, yeah. of the new one. And I'll tell you what, I I, I was surprised at how well, not surprised, <laughs> but I was uh, pleased with how well The Matrix held up as well as yeah. how much more I enjoyed Reloaded and Revolutions than I did initially. I'm still 
in the middle on the new one. I I, I owe it yeah. a second watch. The first time I watched it, I was like, that was pretty middle of the road for me. But it seems to be dense enough that I would I, I owe it a revisit. Yeah, I think that's a good good way of sort of thinking about it. And you know, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's such an interesting movie. I think it's a very polarizing movie. Um, and I think it's like a lot of stuff that the Wachowskis have their hands in. It's attempting, I think, to do things that a lot of movies have never really done before yeah. or, or like have tried but not really succeeded at. So even though it's successful at having a comment, a dialogue with the audience, I think uh, I think it's very successful at that. It's also that not many movies have really done that. You know, mm-hmm. while you're watching it, the movie's trying to have a conversation with you, I believe, I think. And I, you know, I think because that's so unique for, for such a small portion of all movies ever made that I think it, it's kind of jarring and yeah. I think it's kind of strange, but you know, it's it, watching, rewatching the, the films, rewatching uh, Reloaded and Revolutions it made me kind of go like, oh, rewatching things from like 20 years ago or 30 years ago. And this will get to, you know, the movie we're talking about today. It's like really cool to go back with that different lens and go like, what am I going to feel now? Oh, yeah. That's, you know, especially with the movie we're talking about today, because I don't want to spoil the movie, but, you know, it, oh, it, even we'll more so. It when, second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I think that's that for me has like been really kind of fun to like revisit stuff and you know, kind of go back to it and, um, you know, try to have, uh, you know, kind of be open-minded to it. Because like, for me, Revolutions, when I saw it in the theaters, like many people, I was like, ah, that wasn't great. Yeah, it felt underwhelming at the time. Yeah, yeah. I watch it and it's epic. When they're flying through the air, beating on it, like, oh my God, that's some incredible stuff. But it's like very thematically resonant at that point. I'm very moved to the plight of what Neo is trying to accomplish as well as what the system around him is trying to accomplish. So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm very open to uh, a a second viewing of Resurrections. I, I have such a respect for the Wachowskis and what they've what they've continued to do throughout their careers in terms of just like, like I love Jupiter ascending, not because it's particularly good, but because that's a movie that they wanted to make and they made it. And it doesn't really seem to have any, any interference. You know, it's, it's a, it's a pretty pure vision, which even if it's messy, I respect. And I feel like with the whole, like, Oh, if you want to, you want some money for a movie, make another matrix. And then uh, was it, it was Lana Wachowski, right? Lily's the one uh, yeah, Lana yeah. was the one who came came back. Yeah. So for her to be like, all right, but it's I'll do that, but it might not be what you want. I mean, I, right. I can't, I couldn't respect that that energy harder than I do. So <laughs> right. like, I, I just I got to watch it again with that that in my mind. For sure. Well, I'll tell you guys, uh, listeners, the one thing that I've I watched this week that I've been thinking about nonstop is a Blu-ray that I picked up from Grindhouse Releasing. Shout out Grindhouse Releasing. Uh, the amazing uh, 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 boutique Blu-ray, Blu-ray company uh, founded by the late, great Sage Stallone, who uh, they just put out a, a new cut of Pieces. Have you heard of Pieces? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying pieces? to think if I've seen pieces. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up while you talk about it. Well, I picked up pieces because I just heard I picked up the pieces because uh, I heard that it was like you know, I just heard that it was kind of a classic, gross, uh, kind of aggro out there slasher. 
And uh, I watched it this week, went in completely blind, and I can confirm it is aggro. It is out there. It's horny as fuck. It's just so strange. But it has this delightful sense of humor about it that I really appreciated. And even though it's pretty clear what's what's happening in terms of the killer's motivations, the whodunit aspect of it is very compelling. And it's one of those movies that as it wraps up, you go, oh, wow, what a weird ending. And then in the last, literal last five seconds, it just takes a completely wild turn that I cannot shake. So I highly recommend it. I believe that Pieces is currently on Tubi, if you want to watch it for free. Uh, if you're a Shutter subscriber, it is currently on Shutter. But I would say, fuck all that. Go online and order the Blu-ray from Grindhouse Releasing because they do good work. They deserve your money. And this print is gorgeous. It's so beautiful. And, you know, we love physical media. So you got to support it when you can. And I think this is a good avenue. Yeah, I remember this movie. Um, I, I have not seen this. I'm, I'm looking it up, but I do remember. And this very sort of, vivid image of the the woman cut in half in the bathroom yeah um, I, I remember being seeing on the back of the box when I think the DVD came out probably 20 years ago um I think did, as a did, film did like blue underground or something do like a release of this maybe back uh, in the day or probably or maybe, I'm yeah. sure it bounced around a couple times because right. like for it to be on Tubi and Shutter and uh, it's on Canopy, it's on like a bunch of things. I think speaks to the idea that probably a lot of people own it. Nobody owns it. It's like one of those that's just kind of been out there. Right. But um, yeah, highly recommend the Grindhouse release. And as as a filmmaker, it's one of those things that I think you would enjoy watching just because there's a lot of just like how do we make it look like someone's head is missing? And just with a little spit and bubble gum, they put something together. Like one lady gets her head cut off and when they show her body, it's quite literally an actress laying on her back, looking up with her head and they've buried her head underground and then just surrounded her neck with fake blood. And so even though it's very clear that this is a, a body of a full bodied person with, with her head buried in the ground, it's extremely effective because it's this tangible looking beheading that's a mix of goofy and, but like, man, I another thing I respect is like, they figured it out. They figured out a way to get it, and it it's filled with moments like that. Yeah, that's that stuff is so cool, and it is super inspiring to me. And and I know more of that's uh, like I won't I won't dig too much into that because I know it'll come up more with the conversation of Forgotten Silver. But like I, I love those kinds of things and seeing you know the early stuff from filmmakers where they were able to like figure figure it out. How do you get there? How yeah. do you like? How do you make the 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 movie magic work and and i and i think that stuff yeah that stuff is super inspiring to me and i love but some of my favorites are like early uh david cronenberg films for that reason because they're cool. just filled with special effects where you can see all the seams but you're still just like in it regardless you feel, yeah you feel it they do it and also i guess if we're going to drop cronenberg's name just uh, because it's this week uh shout out our r.i.p ivan reitman um yeah 
definitely a legend and very uh, influential in the Canadian film scene. I believe he produced Shivers and uh, what's the other Cronenberg he produced? He might have done more the, than two. The Brood, maybe? Maybe The Brood. But either way, I mean, a true, true icon and yeah. a true legend. And from what I understand, couldn't be a nicer guy. So shout out to him. Yeah. But let's cool. use that as the transition. The movie that you have brought to the show today is Forgotten Silver. Forgotten give silver, a, give yeah. us a rundown of, of what it is and why you chose it. Yeah, so um, so this movie came to me um, many, many years ago. It came to me probably around the time that maybe either the first Lord of the Rings film had just come out or was just about to come out, um, you know, and, and I was living with, a guy at the time who was so excited for the new Lord of the Rings movie. And he wasn't only excited because he was a massive Lord of the Rings fan, but because he was a massive Peter Jackson fan. Yeah. And I was like, well, how, how can you be a fan of this guy that nobody's ever heard of? And he was like, because of this. And he showed me his VHS copy of Bad Taste, which is Peter oh. Jackson's first film. Love and I was taste. like, okay, what is this? And he said, shut up, we're watching this. And we sat down and I was like, what am I watching? This is so insane. Yeah. I just was like, you know, vibrating in my seat because I was like, this is the craziest nonsense ever put it's to film. so innovative. The craft so on display innovative. is so innovative. But I yeah. love Bad Taste, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's so awesome and it's so weird and it's so disgusting and um, hilarious. And um, I had seen the opening scene of that movie just like randomly on the internet never knowing what it was it was like oh this is that movie and the guy's head explodes and then later on in the movie there's a guy like just sitting there with a fork eating his brains out of his skull yep. or whatever you know it's like <laughs> this movie is so crazy and so i was like i need to see more i whatever this peter jackson guy and i think he had another Maybe he had like Meet the Feebles or something. So I watched that. I think he had Meet the Feebles. And I'm pretty sure that Dead Alive, AKA Brain Dead, was yeah, around. Yeah. Well, I'm was talking about my roommate at the time. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I love Meet the you Feebles. Had yeah. All that stuff. And so, so I went to the video store, uh, this video store in DC that uh, called Video American, which was like. And Younger listeners, a video store is where you used to go rent movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's anymore. right. There's a place where you would go in and they would actually have the movie there. It was like being inside of Netflix. And this video store was amazing because there the entire wall on one side, the longest wall in the video store, was alphabetically organized by director's last name. Nice. And so if you went to Jay and you found Jackson, then all of his films would be there. And so I went through Jackson in the same way I went through De Palma in the same way I went through like, you know, Cronenberg and, um, you know, all these other filmmakers that I really loved at that time. And so when I got to Forgotten Silver, I knew nothing about it. I, other than this is a movie by the guy, you know, that I, I'm loving, I'm loving his stuff. So I watched it and was totally captivated by it and knew nothing about like what the real story was and was like telling people like do you know about this there's this guy in New Zealand and he made all these movies it's crazy and <laughs> so, wait, so you thought it was you thought it was real at the time well yeah so I guess that gets into the spoiler like this is a mockumentary but it's mm. but for mo for the early VHS copies of the film there's no real hint that it isn't real yeah yeah and honestly and, uh, it plays so straight 
It plays so uh, straight. Because yeah. I, I went into it knowing that it was a fake documentary about okay, so a, you a legendary okay. filmmaker. Yeah, I mean, I, I had heard of this movie around the way, but I could totally understand being fooled by it because there is not a single wink or nod at any point. And by the time yeah. you have like Sam Neill being a talking head, it's like, oh, well, then this has got to be legit, right? Right. Yeah. And I think it was the combination of I knew less about, you know, the technology of when into what went into making film. So a lot of the stuff that, you know, you can look at now and go, OK, obviously that's not real. Mm-hmm. I saw, saw that stuff and went, oh, I guess that's possible. I guess that's plausible. And it's then also the plausible. Yeah. I mean, especially with early film being a tangible thing that can that can just deteriorate. There's probably a million lost films that simply don't exist. So why why wouldn't this feel real? Right, exactly. And it was in the very early, you know, days of, you know, the internet and before I had even really, you know, traveled anywhere in the world. So I was like, I've never heard of this place. I I know what New Zealand is, but like who knows what could happen there, yeah, you yeah. know? They could be doing anything over there. They've got and dragons. So, yeah, right, right. <laughs> and so it, all, all in all it just was this exciting movie for me because for a while like I didn't I knew nobody who had seen it I was the only person I knew who had seen it whenever I brought it up and I for a long time thought it was this real thing oh there's this guy he was like this and he died in obscurity and he made these crazy movies but they revolutionized film without knowing yeah he revolutionized film and he'll just go down as like this pioneer but um but yeah, I thought it was really, really cool. And it wasn't until later where I realized it was a mockumentary. I was like, oh, of course, but but that doesn't take anything away from it because it's still a really cool movie. And so I brought it to this uh, situation because, you know, this is a co-directing between uh, uh, Costa Votes and Peter Jackson. But Peter Jackson's most recent, you know, uh, thing that he has out right now is this nine hour long Beatles documentary thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what better way to celebrate, you know, uh, Peter Jackson as a documentary filmmaker than to like oh, go yeah. back to the beginning when he was making documentaries that weren't real. <laughs> and what's so great about it is it shows his knowledge of a filmmaker as a documentarian, because it is a very well-structured documentary. All of the, and I'm doing some heavy air quotes here, like found footage of it uh, is very genuine which means it also speaks to his abilities as a filmmaker because this isn't actually found stuff. All of it is created. So he's got to create talking heads footage. He has to create uh, footage that looks like old dated war footage that's on a right. hand crank. Um, we'll get into uh, 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 Stan the Man. That's the best thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, and, but all, you know, a hidden camera kind of thing. Like he revolutionized everything. But in right. order to make this believable, you really do have to be a good filmmaker. Um, I remember back back in the day, I wanted to be like a like a illustrator when I was a oh, kid, cool. and I read this thing by Jim Davis, the guy who created Garfield, and he said the advice that I always give people is if you want to draw cartoons, you need to learn how to draw real looking stuff first, because hmm. once you figure that out you can cartoonify anything. And I think that that applies here. If you want to oh, make cool. a parody documentary, it's not going to work if, if you're not a, a talented enough filmmaker to, to do such a thing. You know, right. he, if he couldn't make a good documentary, there's no way he was going to make a parody documentary, especially right. one that, can, that could fool anybody. You know, if I didn't know any better, I wouldn't know any better. Right. 
Yeah, that's a good that's a good way to put it. And I think that is one of the things that really stood out the most to me this time watching it, because um, I, I watched a bit of it last week, but then I actually watched it right before we you know, oh, right sat on. down to record this. And um, and I'll throw this out there now because I think anybody who's interested in seeing this movie should totally check it out. And it's very hard to find. It's hard to track down. But Costa Boats, one of the uh, co-directors, Peter Jackson and Costa Boats, he started a Vimeo page where you can buy or rent the film straight from him directly from nice. his production company. So I was able to, you know, I, that felt really good to me as a filmmaker to be able to support him directly, oh, yeah. support the, the, the actual filmmaker directly. And we'll but, toss that into the show notes as well. So listeners, yeah. I don't want to keep you in the darks so that you don't know what the hell we're talking about. Uh, yeah, and yeah. You, do, you do want to see this. It's a joy. Yeah. So, so it was cool going and seeing it and going like, you know, actually looking at so many shots in the movie and going like, how the hell did they get this shot? Mm -hmm. Like I can see the miniature work. I can see the set part of it. I can see that, you know, that they're doing what Peter Jackson, I think is, you know, and, and the filmmakers he surrounds himself with. So, so brilliant, which is combining miniatures with a real set, with moving actors and compositing all that together in a single shot. But I don't see the seams. I don't see mm -hmm. any of the seams. This shot is almost as good as the stuff that he then does later in the Lord of the Rings films with combining miniatures and a set and mm -hmm. compo you know, compositing all those things together. I'm just like, wow, he was already at that level on, on this early on. And I think you know those things really go back to exactly what you said which is that he was a really good filmmaker so then he was able to then be you know to make things that looked you know plausible as mm -hmm. an old-timey film or plausible as like you know behind the scenes uh photography or, or all these kind of other things mm -hmm. i think that stuff is just so so cool and it's uh and it's and it really is a testament to the fact that you know uh uh, I will say it's Peter Jackson's fault and Costa Boat's fault that they're such good filmmakers that I was fooled by this movie. That's it's yeah. their fault. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It's not that I was a rube. It's their fault. <laughs> no, they. I, like I said, if I didn't know and you just presented this and, and I had not heard of it before, I never would have known and I would have had to research it to be sure. And right. so this was in 1995. So this is a few years before we get into Lord of the Rings, but there are so many different things that I think parallel to it, especially yeah. in the final footage of uh, his movie. Uh, oh God, now why am I at Salome? Um, <laughs> when they're when, when there's like in Salome, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When they're attacking and putting up ladders on the wall and climbing up, yeah. There are some there are some shot for shot moments that are straight up reused in right. the battles in Lord of the Rings. And I'm watching yeah, it yeah, going- Yeah, the Helm's Deep battle in the yeah, second yeah. film. Same exact film knowledge, same exact setup, just a couple more dollars behind it. Yeah, and that's so true. It's kind of amazing to see, especially with someone like Peter Jackson, who I think is such a tremendous filmmaker, but when, when we get to things like the Hobbit movies, it's almost as if the budget 
ends up eclipsing the imagination. And it's upsetting to, to watch something like that because, you know, you see something like Forgotten Silver, you compare those sequences to Lord of the Rings and you go, the imagination is what's selling me. He could have done this with $5 and I would still be on the right page. And it's, yeah. uh, it's fascinating to see, but uh, it really does highlight that he's such a innovative guy. Uh, yeah. And I love too. So within the, the text of Forgotten Silver, so... On the one hand, it's a documentary about Colin McKenzie, this lost film legend of New Zealand. But it's also an adventure documentary in which Peter Jackson, as himself, is going into the jungles, I guess is the word, of New Zealand to find a long lost gigantic set that was built and abandoned by Colin McKenzie. Right. And what a bold idea to have this sort of gonzo filmmaking aspect of, oh, it's also about my adventure into the brush. Right. Uh, You know, and I've seen so many documentaries that are real, try to do something like that where the filmmaker writes themselves in and it's the worst part of the documentary. It's a failure. (laughs) And so to have that happen here and come across as real and also function in an entertaining way really does sell that verisimilitude that we're talking about. It's such a bold choice, but kudos to peter jackson who at no point winks at the camera like he seems like a guy who's exhausted trudging through the woods and trying to find this lost piece of architecture fantastic yeah that's i mean that's such a good a good point because i was noticing those scenes as well watching it again this time seeing them you know slosh through you know the riverbed and hike Mm -hmm. up these little trails and i'm like I bet you most of these are just set single setups and then being like, okay, go down that little hill and then come oh, back yeah. up. And it's like, you know, they're not hiking these incredible It's distances. probably Peter Jackson's backyard, yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. But at the same time, you kind of look at that stuff and you go like, but it sells it and it sells the sort of the fun. And, he, you know, yes, there's never that kind of wink to the camera or kind of or or whatever and and for his to his credit i think peter jackson and costa boats are like surprisingly good actors in the film selling Mm -hmm. some of the lines when peter's like well wait why would there be a road here that doesn't yeah you know let's look at the map is there a road here you know in those kinds of moments where you kind of go like oh they're actually selling it by being you know not only the good filmmakers but also being you know decent actors and writing this story that sort of like continues to heighten with it you know each each beat each next moment of the film you're kind of just like like oh you're getting this little story about Colin but oh you're also getting this little story about Maybell and this little story about the film and this story about oh now the Russians are involved like you're all it's always being heightened everybody's story is being heightened and I think that is like I love a documentary where the the method of discovery, like where they don't know the documentary they're making until halfway through because of the information. And this carries that vibe despite it yeah. all being written. Like any new yeah. discovery feels very organic. Yeah, um, that's so true. That's that's a good a good way to put it. Yeah, because I think there is so, so much of the this film where it kind of is like it could have just been like you know, oh, it was, you know, he, it was all about the film because you're making it about a filmmaker. But I think because, you know, from the very beginning, they make it about not only him, but the people around him and, Mm. you know, the characters around this Colin McKenzie, so to speak, you know, it ends up feeling like, oh, we are discovering all these other parts of, you know, like Colin wants to 
get in, you know, he wants to join the military because of his brother, who is this prominent character in the story. So then his military life ends up becoming this huge part of his story, mm. which is like not possible if it's just like, oh, it's a story about Colin McKenzie. Let's just like make it all about him. Yeah, you know, yeah. it becomes more interesting because you realize like, like you said, the better documentaries, like I, I think also, I totally agree with your point. And I think on top of that, some of my favorite ones are the ones where you point the camera at one person and then you realize like, oh, no, wait, it's the person behind that person that's yeah. so much more interesting. And I think, uh, you know, the first one that comes to mind is uh, Harmontown. I'm sure you've seen that documentary. I've actually about, have not seen it. Yeah. So that's the documentary about Dan Harmon being fired from community mm. and then deciding to take his podcast on tour and basically bringing one of his like audience members on tour as their like Dungeons and Dragons uh, DM. And then basically it's like point the camera at Dan, Dan Harmon. He's this incredible iconoclastic weirdo maniac drunk. And then realizing slowly as the documentary goes along, like, oh no, it's about this random kid who's like saved from killing himself who like now is part of like, you know, Dan Harmon's life and it's like a permanent yeah. fixture. And now that guy's like a, one of the head writers on like Rick and Morty and like all this. I got to watch this. That yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So it's really, I remember it getting good reviews, but it's, it, I, I didn't, I didn't watch community. So I, it, I just didn't have a connection to it. Right. Right. Yeah. I was, I was a, like a community super fan. So when that, but, but, you know, back to the original point, it's like you kind of start in one place with this film. And I think it br very brilliantly starts going like, oh, it's all about this guy and his film, you know, filmmaking. And then it sort of realizes like, no, let's look at all the other characters. Let's mm -hmm. look at Maybell. Let's look at, you know, Brooke, his brother. Let's look at, you know, his, his eventual wife. Like, how does she fit into this? And like, uh, eventually Stalin, how does he fit yeah. in? You know, like, <laughs> but even like, too, with like the whoever. talking heads, like uh, the one woman that ultimately is, proves to be his daughter, I believe. Um, that the, older ended, lady. The, the woman that ends up being his wife that he oh, meets his second wife yeah, yeah in yeah. africa right yeah sorry yeah and so that's a great thing because they don't really hit you with a label as to who she is she just right. talks about him like she knows him and then in parallel with the discovery of oh he has a second wife blah 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 things like that right. then we get to find it and like it's a brilliant piece of of structure yeah uh, i would be remiss to not mention this have you seen the movie wiener it's a documentary. Is it about a wiener dog? No, <laughs> no. It's about. <laughs> is it, is it um, about Anthony Wiener? <laughs> it is. Okay, um, I haven't seen it. It's it's a great documentary, and after Anthony Wiener initially got in trouble for what what like his first of many right. malfeasance, he was running for I believe it was mayor of New York. Right. And so these documentarians were like, "Let's follow him. Let's let's follow and see." what it's like to watch this politician return to good graces because right. one of the things that made him such a successful politician was that he was a bit of a firebrand but as okay. we're watching this documentary it becomes clear that he actually has a very bad issue with impulse control and okay. whereas that can look good on the senate floor when he's you know doing truth to power it's not good when you're sending dick pics to people right and so this documentary that's an initially supposed to be like check out this guy who made a mistake and is trying to rebuild turns into let's watch him crumble again and see what happens because in the Whoa. middle of it he gets in more trouble oh, and God. so yeah and so it 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 changes midway through but it 
Interesting. Yeah, it's very organic. It's a great documentary. Cool. But cool. it's a very organic shift. And this this does capture that sort of thing where things change when they discover the war footage or. Right. Um, yeah, it's really fantastically done. Cool. Though. OK, yeah, yeah I, I'd like to check that out. That sounds interesting. It's you know, a good it's a recommendation little... in that in that what we're talking in that vein of what we're talking about. Or even something like uh, you've seen Grizzly Man, right? I have not actually sat down and fully watched it. I've watched the kind of major beats of the film, you know, like hands down my favorite documentary ever made. Okay. But what I love about it is that most of it was shot with a completely different intention. It was shot to just show this guy living amongst bears. But now that he's been consumed by said bears, it's just the, the new direction is just an assembly of his footage with new commentary. So the shape of that footage takes a different, a different flavor. And, right. you know, the great Werner Herzog, you know, does not mince words, but he's very inspired <laughs> by Timothy's ability to capture footage, but is also judgmental of the fact that everybody told this guy, you got to stop, or you're going to get eaten. And then he ultimately was, you know, and, but it's the same sort of thing where you're watching this documentary that that doesn't really exist in a, in a way as it was originally intended just because of circumstances right. and that's so hard to to find naturally and i imagine it's just as hard to write yeah that i mean and that's a good point and if you kind of think about you know this film in that context you kind of start to go like okay what would it you know what would it mean to you know discover this this person's work and let, let's imagine a world where we just discover the work, we're not able to really connect it to anybody or, you know, anybody who's still alive who knew anything about this person, then it would just be a, a movie about discovering the work, piece, you know, piecing it together, trying mm -hmm. to edit it together as best as they can imagine. And, oh, then it's just about the film. And that, of course, would be interesting. It wouldn't make for fun, you know, yeah. documentary, you know, material. But you can imagine that that would still be kind of cool where you'd be like, wow, this is incredibly, you know, fascinating. Like, how could they have done this? But I think what's brilliant about the writing process and just speaks so much to Peter Jackson as as a writer, um, you know, is that he always goes for the goofiest thing, which is why I just love him so much and why I'm so this inspired movie is so funny. by him. Yeah. So and it's, funny. It's so funny. And so... I think that's to me like what what this movie does really really well is that they're always just like okay well we could say that he was able to like you know come up with his own chemical compound to like mm -hmm. you know emulsify film but we could also say that he like stole eggs yeah. to make an emulsifier and then you know cut to a newspaper that says 2000 eggs stolen and then he's like thrown That's in jail so so funny yeah you know? well and i love too like his his the colin mckenzie this imaginary guy his imagination ends up being his biggest hurdle it's like he was there he knew where to place the camera for that first flight Unfortunately, because the camera was in the way, the flight crashes and now he's in trouble and has his footage taken away from him by his father. You know, it's like all these things get in the way of, you know, Stan the man. Yeah, he's great doing hidden camera stuff until he assaults the president of New Zealand. Right. And therefore that footage is no longer, but he captures the first instance of police violence. But yeah, know, right. and so like there's so many different 
Like right. his, his, his ambition is his downfall and there's so much humor. Like, yeah, he's going to develop all this footage. He needs all these eggs, but you steal a lot of eggs. You're going to get in trouble. Like you're going to get caught really, really brilliant. But I know a lot of people who are, who are just unstoppably creative where nothing gets right. in their way. And I feel like that's a very genuine story. I know so many people that they're going to succeed because they're never going to stop. But that ambition causes them to do certain things that that end up making them their own worst enemy. But it doesn't matter because the art is at the end of the tunnel. It feels yeah. very real. And so even though, as we're describing this, if you haven't seen the movie, someone might be apt to think like, oh, this is a goofy comedy. But it really does play real. And, and, and honestly, I think Peter Jackson is that guy. It, you know, he is that guy who... Oh, you yeah. need me to blow up a house? Well, I don't have a house, but I can build you a miniature. You know, like he's yeah, got that, yeah, yeah. Like, that let's just do it. Let's make it happen attitude that, yeah. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, and that makes me, you know, like I wanted to ask you sort of what your, it sounds like that was kind of your, one of your major takeaways from this movie. But I think what's interesting about this movie is I was almost sort of expecting towards the end because it was, you know, mockumentary, you know, I was almost expecting at the end we would get that sort of wink to camera that's like, okay, in a normal movie, we'll present themes through the story, but now we're going to present the theme through the dialogue and through the like, you know, the talking heads are going to sort of say, and this was why Colin McKenzie was the way he was or whatever. What, what was your sort of takeaway at the end with the movie's message, you know, so to speak, because I think what you just said totally makes sense. But at the same time, it almost seems like the message that they verbalize at the end is kind of just like he runs away from everything. And, you know, and, mm. and, and but even the, even still, he was successful, you know, which is kind of a, a strange kind of. Yeah, thing. well, I mean, it, it's sort of two things, because on the one hand, you have to come up with a reason plot wise that this guy is not famous. So you have to make sure that he disappears just in a functional plot sense. Right. But to tie that into theme, I, I think, I guess it comes down to, I mean, like how many famous artists are there that died penniless? And then 200 yeah. years later, we go, oh man, this, uh, this Van Gogh guy was onto something, you know? Meanwhile, he died completely out of his mind and, you know, just a wreck. So it's like sort of a story as old as time, but I would imagine that this movie, I, I think it's mostly an ode to imagination and mm. the idea of like, if you're creating something because you want it to be a success, it's going to have an inherent falseness to it that does not, that, that keeps the audience at a distance or the, or the consumer mm. at a distance. But when you create something because you love it, because you've imagined it and you've dreamed it into being even if you die without it ever making it, like you've created something real. And Peter Jackson is a guy who I think has been at both ends of that spectrum. And right. I think understands that as somebody who, you know, it, when we talk about the New Zealand film market, it's certainly not as old as Hollywood. You know, this, this movie jokingly suggests that it's much older, but when you think about the, like the, the uh, progenitors of New Zealand cinema, I mean, Peter Jackson is sort of frontline. You know, he's definitely right. an early innovator in that thing. So, yeah, I really think to me, it's an ode to that imagination. That's just like, you have to have that goal to create. You have to treat hurdles as hurdles and not 
you know, brick walls. You have to treat it. And, you know, I, I, I love to write and, you know, I'm trying to write a book, but I have to tell myself, like, I don't want to write this because I want it to sell. I want to write a damn good book. And that's going to be more satisfying to me. I might live my whole life and 10 people read this book, but to me, that's so much better than having my own, you know, Harry Potter dynasty or whatever, you know, like it. And (laughs) so I I think that this is sort of a love letter to the idea of creation for creation's sake and making sure that the art is the art, God damn it. And it doesn't matter what gets in the way, you know, and it it almost, it's, it's rather prescient in a way that nowadays, especially in the film world, one of the big things we fight against is the everything becoming content. And right. I love me some good content. I'm going to drink up every Marvel movie you throw at me. Right. But, you know, that's not the stuff that, like, you're not going to get the shining out of that. You know, you're not going to get something incredible out, out of that. You'll get something that's satisfying. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, 200 years from now, people are going to be like, Cinema Paradiso, that is one of the movies. People are like, what about Spider-Man No Way Home? Be like, that's fun. But who gives a shit, you know? And <laughs> right. so I, I think that this is an ode to the to just, you know, a little elbow grease and some imagination right really all you need as long as you have that vision yeah that that i can totally track that and i I think that completely makes sense because i I, as you're talking about it it's making me sort of think of the moments in the film where they talk about you know him again running away as they reference at the end of the film but like running away to the bush on the west country Mm. but then coming back with this grand vision you know Mm. and sort of his constant need to not only produce and invent but also you know be driven by his imagination and be sort of you know captivated by his imagination or you know um you know as david lynch says catch the bigger fish you know and like I think that that is sort of, um, you know, yeah, I could totally see that as being a major theme of this. And, and I think what's kind of striking to me about Peter Jackson, you know, and, and I don't know Costa Boats as much as a filmmaker, but for Peter Jackson is that it doesn't seem too much like this movie, you know, like he's sort of making this movie being like, oh, I could end up being this guy. I think he, in a a way, again, with whether it's his playfulness or his confidence in his own filmmaking or whatever it is, maybe it's just New Zealanders in general, like he almost kind of is able to just go like, yeah, I'm making a movie about a filmmaker, but I can also sort of remove myself and sort of say like, how do I make the most fun? How do I make the most engaging? Mm. How do I make the most interesting or, you know, twisty turny movie that keeps people excited? And I think, you know, going back to your point, I, I think the idea that um, of wanting to sort of show that he, you know, um, you know, spoiler for Colin McKenzie's story, uh, three, two, one spoiler, you know, that he dies a hero, that they Mm. show this footage that that, you know, was recovered from the Spanish Civil War, where he tries to save this soldier on the battlefield and, you know, dies with the soldier, Mm. I think was such a, it, it sort of pairs kind of perfectly with the idea of like running away is that, 
yeah, he eventually ends up walking away from his art because he's too afraid to confront both Stalinist Russia and the mafia, mm. you know, because he's afraid that they will tear his film away. But at the same time, he still ultimately, you know, he he was an altruistic person. He was mm -hmm. this like he was driven by kind of altruistic ideas. And when it was about making art, it was for those altruistic reasons. Like you oh, said, yeah. it was about but even when know, he was working with Russia and he was kind of making two adjacent pictures, right, one that right. would please them, but then one that is his. And like right. I think every every creative person who needs to pay their rent has has done that balancing game before. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I think you do make a really good point. So it's it is kind of interesting because it's almost as, uh, in a way, it almost maybe maybe the final statement of the film because you know the woman who you know is ends up actually being his second wife, so to speak, in the film. The statement that she makes about him maybe is in a in a sense meant to be the statement that non artists make about artists. Is that what it's is, like? What does she say? I don't remember. Well, she kind of she ends up saying that you know that he ran away. You know, he mm. he ultimately he ran away from his father when his father wouldn't let him be a filmmaker. Mm. He ran away from you know uh, he ran away from New Zealand when he thought that he could lose his movie, and he you know he ran away um, from you know what I she says a third thing, but I forget. And she says, but that doesn't take away from his you know from his genius. But I think what's kind of, you know, interesting is that, you know, it's it's not that he's really running away, you know, it's more so that he's trying to figure out how he can, you know, still do these things in spite of, like yes. you said, yeah. you know, it, it, you know, there's so many artists, um, you know, who who do make choices where they're just like, I know this is not exactly the thing that I want to be do doing right now, but mm. but I kind of have to do it because. I do have this grander vision of this other thing that I sort of want to accomplish. So, so yeah, I think it's a really interesting movie for that reason. And I almost kind of, um, I don't know, after this, I might try and find, you know, conversations with Peter Jackson or Costa nice. Boats if they ever talk about it. Cause I'd like want to hear like, you know, they were young guys when they made this movie. Oh yeah. This is 95. So, so Peter Jackson was probably, oh, fuck, he was probably younger than I am. Yeah, yeah, he was probably in his early early thirties, I, I would imagine. You know, mid he doesn't look a day over fifty. Got to get He's kind of always looked the same age. It's yeah, he hasn't so... aged beyond fifty. He's just stuck yeah, there. yeah. He started at fifty, and he's gone to like fifty-five, maybe sixty, because now he's a little bit gray. But but yeah, I mean, I think it's such a it's such a cool movie for that reason that we can even kind of have this conversation mm. about what it means for sort of the artistic process and what it means for, um, you know, for the process of filmmaking, because I think so many movies <laughs> throughout history that are about filmmaking and are mm -hmm. about the creation of art um, so often just sort of serve you the message in a very yeah. direct way. They just kind of say like, art is hard and you either have to sacrifice or you have to remember to have balance so that the people you love don't, you know, tell you to fuck off or whatever, yeah, yeah, you know, it's like, it's like, it's almost always seems like it's just presented. And this movie I think is interesting because it, it kind of, it doesn't do that. It kind of says like, 
well, I don't know. What is the message of this weird guy's yeah. life? You know, it's like, it's almost this other, uh, other message that, that, you know, um, that you can kind of find in it, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Well, well, what was your takeaway? Um, before I started that up, was there, a spe- <laughs> is there like a different takeaway that you have from that that goes deeper? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, before you had kind of said some of your thoughts, and that's why part of why I wanted to ask you about your thoughts is, is I was kind of in those final moments, uh, a little bit um, interested in the way that that the movie sort of presented that it's final, the fact that it gave the final statement to, you know, to uh, Hannah McKenzie, I think is the character's name. Mm. Um, yeah, sort of and, like speaking to his legacy as opposed to right his his action yeah right and I almost kind of thought it was interesting to you know because so much of the final sort of act of you know the forgotten silver you know the 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 mockumentary is about um, and we got the movie edited and we had mm-hmm. brought in this you know incredibly seasoned editor to edit this movie and then they show you the basically this shortened version of it with this voiceover that kind of recaps it. And you're just like, wow, they did it. That's so cool. I almost expected that the final statement of the film would be made by, you know, Peter Jackson and Costa Boats or by Peter Jackson or by, you know, we do get a few of the popular talking head, Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein. (laughs) makes an appearance in this movie. (laughs) Which, which is funny because I think he's the second to last voice we hear, you know, I think you hear like Harvey Weinstein and then this Hannah McKenzie character. But I thought it was interesting because I almost sort of thought we would get that sort of like, here's the artists who found this thing viewing another artist and his legacy. We're going to get their statement on it. But I thought it was a very interesting choice at the very end to be like, no, this woman that was married to him for this, you know, short time and um, and wasn't involved in all of this stuff in a way is almost just she only knows it through stories that, that yeah. he told her we're getting her version of it. So maybe in a, as I'm saying this, maybe in a strange way, she is us, you know, she mm. is, she is a, a, a version of us in this world because she's only getting stories of it, mm. you know? And so I think, you know, my initial takeaway was kind of like, oh, it's weird that, that the final statement is about like, he ran away from everything in life, yet yeah. that shouldn't diminish the fact that he was, you know, this brilliant mind uh and brilliant thinker but i think at the same time you know even once with the things you said and one step removed as i'm thinking about it she's almost kind of like you know we're almost getting to sort of sit there with her at the table and kind of go like i didn't know him you know i i wasn't there through that process i don't know what really happened and so i can only know the stories i can only know what's being told to me or what will eventually be written in the textbooks in the New Zealand schools that talk about this, the Colin McKenzie or whatever. And so I think that's always, I I think that's a fun twist to kind of put in a Mm. mockumentary that kind of says like, oh, not only is this, this story you've never heard and isn't it so crazy that this guy invented all this stuff, but also, um, whatever story you hear about someone, whatever story you hear about the genius of 
this filmmaker or this artist or this. It's all just a story. You yeah. don't really know the truth. You don't really know the reality. It doesn't matter that there was, you know, a guy filming behind the scenes on this film or whatever. Even watching that footage, you're not really getting reality. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's it's always through stories that we learn what what legacy really is, you know. And, and, and I think so that's like the beauty of a story is like, and, and really the beauty of any art is that once the artist puts it out there, you know, it is now free for any and all interpretation and any and all, and, and that's just part of it. And you can go back and say, this was the artist's original intentions, but the art's alive at this point, And you can have that conversation beyond that. And when a story gets told over and over again, it always changes. And I think even when there's a camera introduced and you say, oh, well, this is, there it is. It's filmed. There's no discussion here. It's like, no, there's, there's actually plenty, um, you know, First off, you know, the introduction of a camera always brings an inherent falsity into any situation. It's just the nature of the beast. But the idea of like, yeah, the picture has a thousand words, but there's a thousand more words on top of every one of those words that you can interpret. And who's to say what is or isn't valid. And so yeah. the beauty, like it's now that I'm now that we're talking it out, like there's almost this beauty of this, like, it's great that we found this footage. But this footage is not actually the, the compelling story. It's just the images that are going to be associated with whatever story we can make of his life. And so yeah. you can watch it and go, wow, this guy retreated into nothingness in pursuit of his art. And you can go, yeah, but also that retreat was him approaching his art it, just from an angle that we didn't quite see till after the fact. You know, right. there's all these different things that that you can read from it and who's to say what's true and what's not at that point. And we yeah. can say, yeah, factually, Colin McKenzie did not exist, but is he any less real than any of the other filmmakers that they mentioned, at least in the world of this? Because yeah. I learned some film history. I learned, and I looked this up, Egg Albumen can develop footage. That is, that is very, that is a real thing. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. And so like this, I learned a lot about film history, despite not a single ounce of factual film history being put in front of me. <laughs> and so I think that that, that also <laughs> speaks to the theme of, of this idea of like, it's very important that we honor this filmmaker. But at the same time, the takeaway here is not necessarily the product so much as it is this process that, that right. he's gone through, you know, and um, right. But, you know, yeah, it could also be a lot of things that you could also say, I watch that and go, man, I shouldn't obsess too hard. I might end up dead. You know, and <laughs> that's not invalid. <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It all works. Or put the images of, you know, Stalin and Harvey Weinstein next to each yeah. other and go, maybe I shouldn't take money from certain people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a very big belly laugh when right at the beginning, Harvey Weinstein was like, yeah, he's very innovative, like D.W. Griffith. And so a piece of me is like, yes, D.W. Griffith was an innovative filmmaker. At the same time, D.W. Griffith did give us Birth of a Nation, which is the text on how to do racism. And... <laughs> To have Harvey Weinstein, a noted rapist and criminal, being like, ah, the racist guy, I had a nice, a nice meta laugh, uh, given uh, yeah. the knowledge of current events. Oh, man. Yeah, that's funny. Well, that said, I, though, I mean, I'll, I'll do respect to D.W. Griffith as a craftsman, but, right. uh, you know, right. which I think was the point being made here. But exactly. here in 2022, watching a noted monster uh, yeah. uh just pay some kind words to a guy whose legacy is uh, pretty tainted by the racism of the past was yeah. uh, gave me a chuckle. <laughs> gave me a bit yeah. of a chuckle. Yeah, that's, that's funny. 
Well, the stuff that you were saying, I mean, j- just a, a minute ago reminded me of, of a story, you know, you were talking about uh, putting putting things out into the world. And, and as soon as the, you put them to the world, you know, they're they're open They're You know, they belong to the audience and no longer mm-hmm. to to the filmmaker. And, you know, there's a, a really amazing thing that they do at the Bryn Mawr Film Institute called Open Screen Mondays, where local filmmakers in Philadelphia uh, can bring f- films under 10 minutes and show them in the theater and nice. sit there with other filmmakers, watch their work and get feedback if they want. And the first time I ever showed a short film p- you know, piece that I had uh, had worked on, it wasn't final at that point, was in that space in front of an audience. There was like 10 or 15 other people. And I said, you know, please be harsh on us. We want as much criticism as possible. And you know, the film ended and people were asking these different questions and kind of giving feedback. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And it got to this one guy and he said, the end of, it was our film Broken Bread. And he said, at the end of your film, the film is definitely about themes of this and, and, you know, this character represents this emotion and this character represents this emotion. I I mean, it's, it's so clear to me. And I, and I looked at him and I said, yeah, I mean, if if that's what you got out of it, I, I love that. That's so amazing. And he said, that is what this film is about. And I said, I mean, if, if that's what you're taking, he said, that is what this film is about. <laughs> <laughs> and literally, I almost started crying because I was so happy yeah, yeah. that that my anything I had participated in had made somebody so enraged. Yeah, like provoked so they, something in him. Yeah, they had he had gotten so excited by you know that it's like but felt something about it. Would you watch that film without that having been your intention? Watch that and go, wow, you know what? That is what this is about. Do you feel <laughs> well, that when you watch it? I mean like, like did, I've his, gotten... did his lens open up your lens at all? I, I will say that I don't remember everything that he said. He said a Fair lot enough. of crazy things that were really, really fascinating. I mean, I've gotten, I've gotten everything from sexual perversion to um, to duality of man to uh, self hatred to self love, like every concept that is possible to envision and put on that film. People have said something to me about it, and every time I hear it. I get so excited that somebody's gotten anything out of that yeah, movie. Yeah. But that guy in particular, I had no idea what he was talking about, but I was so thrilled that he just screamed at me in front of a group of people. And like, I think if we had been sitting next to each other, he would have started throttling me and strangling me. <laughs> but I was just, it was the greatest moment that I could have ever hoped for. So I hope every movie I ever make, somebody starts screaming at me about it because it was Fully just- noted. I'm going to show up to a screening and I'm going to scream my fucking head off. (laughs) Just write a bunch of nonsense on a paper and just get up there and start shaking. Your movie's about it. I'll go, of course, sir, of course. I have um, a couple notes. Uh, Yeah, let's do it. First off, the hardest I laughed in the movie was during the Stan the Man segment. (laughs) Because partially what I liked about this was, so for people who haven't watched it, which you should just watch it from the link that I provide you before listening to this, but whatever. Stan the Man is sort of a precursor to your Tom Greens or your jackasses. He, uh, so Colin McKenzie has a briefcase camera that he's able to film like covert stuff, but Stan the Man's pranks are not very well thought out. And they're typically uh, smashing a pie in someone's face. At one point he pisses in a fountain and then pushes someone in the fountain. And it's just like cruelty. 
but the hardest I laughed is when he pie like a lady is pushing a baby carriage. So he pies her face and then he's about to leave. And then it occurs to him, wait, I can pie this baby. So he pies the baby <laughs> and then he pushes the carriage down a hill. So he may have just killed a baby. But what I like about it is that this is clearly not what Colin McKenzie's trying to do. But at the moment, it's the only film he can get made. And he's basically just practicing. And yeah. I know so many people like and getting I, money too, and getting money. And like, I love writing fiction, but I get more eyes on my work when I write movie reviews. So you supplement it that way. I know a lot of filmmakers, they're trying to make a movie, but they do educational videos on the side or like production products and things like that. And that's exactly what Colin is doing here is just this Stan the Man guy, he needs a cameraman. I can be that cameraman. It's not my dream. It's not my art, but we'll get paid. And it was just yeah. such a great sequence of that Grin and Barrett aspect of any creative endeavor where it's like you, you just sometimes, like sometimes you can't afford any film stock unless you do a job you don't want to do. When I was a stand-up comedian, I would love to play clubs every night, but guess what? If I want to pay my rent, I have to do an Elks Lodge. I have to do a fire hall. Those yeah. shows can be awesome. Those shows can be a mixed bag. I hated doing them, but you had to do them. And at those places, I couldn't do my cerebral shit. I couldn't make a statement. I had to do jokes on jokes on jokes that make you laugh while you're drinking so you can go home and think that you had a good night. It's not at all creatively fulfilling for me but it's in the wheelhouse of creating humor. And right. so watching Colin McKenzie go, I'm pointing a camera at something. I have to do it. It's yeah. got to pay my bills. And to see that used for such vile and clever humor was just very well done. I Stan the Man yeah. is, is a character that I'm going to be thinking about forever. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it is such a ridiculous and absurd, you know, part of the movie. And it speaks again, I think, to just Peter Jackson, just, you know, having this ridiculous sense of humor and, mm. you know, total not, you know, always wanting, like, how can every moment just be based on the silly? Because obviously, you know, you could have had it been, be anything in that moment. It's like, oh, Colin needs money. What would he end up doing? Oh, yeah. And the idea that he ends up finding this, like, you know, very, you know, two bit Charlie Chaplin on the streets of New Zealand that nobody likes, um, who beats up a child, you know, like the thing that gets him any notoriety. Oh, yeah. That, that was everyone's favorite bit was he slapped a kid. Right. It was like, it was like oh, so then the, the idea is that people love when he hurts the innocent. It's like, yeah. oh, okay. So let's chase that. And I think it's like, uh, you know, with the new Jackass movie being in theaters now, the whole time I was watching it, it's like, oh, that's what Jackass was. It was like, they just did as much stupid stuff as they could until it's something stuck. Yeah. And it's like, and eventually, I mean, it's funny to see all those guys now are very successful off of a legacy of like hurting each other and hurting yep. themselves. And, you know, it's funny that like, you know, Stan the Man, you know, was like his entire legacy is you know built on on hurting the other people for no reason other than to like you know make a few bucks and um you know i love that they end up saying that they would like film during the day in a town go develop the film come back and screen it and then take their bags of cash out of yeah. town like yeah. you know they had to say it was bags of cash because this was so popular that people were like i'm sure so excited. 
Peter Jackson probably at that point, like he loves making his movies, but I I guarantee there's probably a hundred commercials out there that he didn't want to make that right. didn't that weren't creatively fulfilling, but it's like I gotta fill these reels. So I need to I need to film a you know a Casio commercial for something or whatever it is. Right, you know? right. And even though it's not creatively fulfilling, it's still something that's gotta be done. And like that's Stan the man. He can take yeah. his bags of cash and then throw them into Salome. Yeah, yeah. And I will say the one time that I think the film got closest to to offering that wink, but not actually doing it, mm. was uh, the collection of posters from that studio that ultimately financed him. And one of them was just a, like it was biblical movies such as Samson Unchained. Oh, and they yeah. actually used the the like an Unchained logo kind of thing. It looks like Grindhousey, yeah. and that's one of those things that that. Maybe it's even because like things like Django Unchained existed since then, like that predates it. Um, although there are other Unchained movies out of the Grindhouse era that they're right. playing on, but like that was the one point where I was like, "This—that's the one thing that might have told me that this is fake." Right. But I don't think it crosses that threshold because right. it's so well done. Blink and you miss it. But I—I I had to pause it and guffaw because that poster was so fucking funny. Samson yeah, Unchained. Samson Unchained. Well, and and like, you, if you know and, the story of Samson and Delilah, like there's Samson's never like off the chain. Like it's not a hardcore story. Right. It's incredible. Right. Well, and the and the thing that's so brilliant about that too is that it's like they set it up that oh, this guy is this super devout movie producer. He built mm. him his movies, you know, from the ground up in his movie studio from the ground up. And then they show the movies that he's been involved in. And, you know, I remember the first DVD player we ever bought came with a copy of, uh, I think it was called Tribulation, which is like a Gary Busey straight to DVD, like Christian movie that was produced probably by a company very similar to this fake yeah, movie yeah. studio. And it's like, and it looks like the most intense action movie on the on the cover, but instead it's like, you know, whatever. So, yeah. it's, you know, it's Samson Unchained. Movie, yeah. <laughs> right. Samson Unchained is probably exactly the same way where you're just like, like, oh, we're going to go see Samson Unchained. And then it's just like this low budget biblical yeah. nonsense that's just shot out in the middle of the Arizona desert, you know, or whatever. It's an asylum <laughs> film. You know, that company. Right, right. <laughs> Transmorphers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I just, I love, yeah, little things like that. I mean, it's just, I, I agree with that. That was the moment where I was like, okay, they're, they're really having fun with this and they're really mm -hmm. being kind of silly with it, but it's just, it, I think so much of the time, like, again, I think it speaks to the fact that this movie did fool me so many years ago is that they, even in the littlest things like that, they're only on screen for a moment. So it mm -hmm. almost doesn't give your brain that chance to, to yeah, sort of yeah. notice like, wait, Samson Unchained. Wait, what? That doesn't seem real. It, you but know, also they, too, like there's so many movies that were shit out over history that why wouldn't there be a Samson Unchained? I mean, right, there's right. a fucking uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, vampire hunter. Why wouldn't there be right. a Samson Unchained? You know, like right. that, that could totally exist. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, before we wrap up, is there anything else that, that you had on your mind about this this movie that you'd like to share? Because I got to thank you for bringing it. It's something that I I, yeah. I had heard of, but I never thought really to seek out despite being a fan of Peter Jackson. And 
it was just it was just so thoroughly clever just a very impressive piece of filmmaking that was in service of something that was not only thoughtful and like i said kind of taught me some film history but was ultimately like a very breezy entertaining watch that that is just a blast so i thank you for that but absolutely anything that you want to you want to toss in before we wrap up yeah, I uh, I'm I'm so glad you liked it. You know, it's one of the one of those movies that I think so few people have seen, and I think Peter Jackson has managed in the last 25 years to go from, uh, you know, uh, a successful filmmaker in New Zealand to one of the most successful filmmakers. You know, or or he made a Best Picture. Yeah, I mean, you know. Success is obviously relative to the person, right? Whatever mm-hmm. Peter Jackson deems as his own success, but he's made some of the most financially successful and the, some of the most viewed films. He's a household um, name for sure. He's a household name, and yeah. and I and I think it's really cool to go back and watch, you know, this movie. And so, I mean, we've said it fifty times already during the episode. I'll say it again. Like, I think everybody should see this movie, and I think if you have minor interest in uh, it sounds like your audience does in like grindhousey type movies and low budget mm. horror movies and schlock stuff. Like you should watch Peter Jackson's old movies. I think Bad Taste, I think is like a is an awesome movie. It's yeah. I would even go as far as to say it's like one of my favorite movies because it's just so crazy. It's inspiring just the, to watch. You watch it's, it and it's you go, totally I could make a movie. You know, give give me yeah. a couple bucks and and a, and a couple months to fuck with. I could probably come up with something. Yeah, yeah. I love right. movies that do that. Yeah, yeah, and even more so, I think when you know the story behind Bad Taste, which is that it took years to make, like years and years and years of literally doing what kind of what Colin McKenzie did. And that's funny. I didn't really piece this together until now, but like Salome or Bad Taste was Peter Jackson's Salome. It's this crazy movie he had in Mm. his head. He had all these random ideas and he had to go away and work night shifts on a thing to come back and shoot on the weekends and do that over years and years and years. But I think Bad Taste is such a fun and weird and unique movie. And I think um, I think uh, Brain Dead, is that the other one? Um, uh, Brain Dead, a.k.a. Dead Alive. Yeah, Dead Alive, yeah. right, right. Um, that movie, I think, is so much fun. It's so crazy. It's so like, it feels to me like, in the pantheon of you know sam raimi and evil dead oh yeah. like it's just as good in my opinions in some ways even better because i, I think it it just is like it feels more uh yeah it feels more complete it feels more like kind of feature complete in a lot of ways but um and yeah and i think even movies like frighteners is is super fun and people don't really think yeah, it's so it's such a good movie. And um, and so, yeah, I think checking out Peter Jackson's earlier work, I mean, uh, I'm not the biggest fan of uh, what's the one Heavenly Creatures. I, I have not seen that one yet. I, yeah. I recently acquired the book that it's based on. And so oh, cool. I've told myself that I'm going to finish the book and then I'll check that out. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, yeah, I love uh, what's her name? Not Kate Winslet. Why can't I think of? Uh... Yeah, the. Uh, I can't think of her name either. Um, oh my god, she's one of my favorites, and I had it on my tip of my tongue. Yeah, she's uh, yeah. Look, Mel- look Melanie Linsky. Melanie, Melanie Linsky. Linsky. Yeah, she's. I was fantastic. wanting to say yeah. Lily and something. <laughs> I was getting her last name mixed with her first name, but but that would be the thing I would say about this. And and honestly, like watching this again and 
knowing that this is often credited to Peter Jackson, but it is a code, you know, directing with Costa Boats makes me interested to check out some of his other, you know, smaller projects that he's been uh, and documentaries that he's been involved in, because clearly he's also a very talented filmmaker. And, um, and so that would be the, really the thing, you know, that I would want to say about this movie is that it's like, you know, if you, if you in any way are trying to make something like any piece of art or anything, I think movies like this are really fun to watch because I think we live in a world now, this goes to your point that you made earlier of like, everybody's producing content and every, you know, and, and there's so much stuff that kind of just fills the gaps. I think Peter Jackson, so much of his stuff that he made in the beginning is so much, is just about make something cool and fucking weird and different and unique and like make it up in the moment, like be in the space and be like, what could happen here? Like, Oh, we could do this. And I think it does his early movies, they don't care who like they're excited that somebody's going to get to watch them, but they're not really necessarily for those people, so to speak. They're for making the craziest, weirdest, wildest, most fucked up nonsense that he can. They're not tested to death. Yeah. 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 And I think that that to me is, is just so, so cool to see. Cause I think these days we often will sit down to watch a movie and and know exactly what's going to happen in the next scene and to watch a filmmaker who's you know very surprising and very you know uh just <laughs> so weird is is yeah. really kind of fun to go back to for sure i um yeah i i i'm always going to appreciate somebody that makes something for the sake of making it as opposed to making something for the release there's value to both like i said i I loved the new Spider-Man, but it's not an enduring thing. You know, it is a piece of content. It is what it is. But um, yeah, I will. And I've seen Peter Jackson do both things. You know, I've seen him make studio stuff that that was good studio stuff that didn't I I didn't like I didn't see the second two Hobbit movies because I hated the first one. (laughs) But um, but, you know, whatever it is, what it is. I also I just looked up Costa Boats to see what he had directed and um, he he does work in documentary. He has a documentary here about the founder of Jelly Belly Jelly Beans. Ooh, that's but, cool. Um, yeah, it's called Candyman. And um, just make sure you grab the right one. And, yeah. <laughs> um, but it seems that he was the guy on the Lord of the Rings movies that followed everybody around and made documentaries, like Making of. Right. So like the Making right. of the Two Towers is directed by Costa Boats, but he's also credited as a camera operator on Right, I saw that. So, and he did, and I've actually seen this movie and I didn't even realize it was him, uh, Saving Grace. Uh, yeah, New Zealand. It's based on a play. It's, okay. um, yeah, it's like a... I don't want to call it like a it's not really a thriller it's more of like a drama but it's like a it's like a like a poor kid on the streets try you know he's like 1920 it's one of those kinds of things but right. um I remember liking it and I it didn't even occur to me that it's like a New Zealand production but yeah that's that was cool. based on a play good movie good movie yeah if I remember correctly well now you got to get Costa Boats on the show I mean, he might do it. He's uh, Peter Jackson yeah. might be tough to get. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Peter's guy. busy. Get Costa and then work your way up to Peter. <laughs> I want to know what Peter Jackson's doing next because he he had said 
after doing Lord of the Rings that he wanted to just like do a zombie movie or something, just like throw together like a, sh- and then it never kind of came oh, to fruition. Because really? if I remember correctly, the Hobbit movies were originally going to go to Guillermo del Toro. Right. And then, you know, he how dropped things off go, like last minute. Dro- you can still see some of his design in like right. the flavor of it, you know, naturally it, it's going to stick there. But I know that Peter Jackson was not so inclined to do those so i just wonder if maybe now he's gonna come out and do another bad taste style movie hit us with the dead alive or you know it it, honestly to tell you the truth i would take a frighteners too if if and he was willing to give us one i think that's a world that can be played in quite a lot oh that's so true i didn't even think about i mean yeah anything in that world would be so so cool i mean the stories that i've heard from uh you know, there's a story that I heard recently where apparently at the premiere of at the premiere of Return of the King, Peter Jackson went to the head of Weta Digital mm. and said, um, "We need a. We're going to have a meeting on Monday. We're talking about King Kong. We're doing King Kong." Nice. I did love at the premiere. The movie wasn't even freaking out yet. And he's already like, we're doing King Kong. This is like, we're talking in three days. <laughs> Get ready. That's incredible. You know? and he was like, Good dude, on him. What, what are you talking about? We need like, give us some time off. But I think, you know. He's an like, obsessive. I like it. But like, yeah, you know, so, I thought They Shall Not Grow Old was great. I have yet to watch the Beatles stuff, but it's like, I love that he's doing these great documentaries, but yeah. I would kill for another just wild fiction story from him. Yeah, I'm interested to see. I, I think... I would be interested, maybe this isn't necessarily a conversation for the podcast, but I would be interested in your sort of take on like when a producer, writer, director gets as big as Peter Jackson, like it almost kind of seems like so many projects he ends up getting kind of attached to Mm. end up, he ends up not being the person that sort of does them. He was attached to the Halo movie for the longest time. And it's like, we're just now getting the Halo TV series that that was supposed to be. 15 years ago i think it comes down to the term attached to is such a broad scope of things but you know it's i I, i'll never understand the business of of hollywood you know no matter i I could be in hollywood and i just wouldn't get it it's a it's a very uh what's the word it's a it's just a it's a hard thing it's like an intangible beast right but at the same time like to bring it back to sam raimi sam raimi got stuck in the studio machine he produced some quality fucking love his spider-man movies but then real quick he dropped drag me to hell to be like hey guys just so you know all that shit that you've been doing was based on me and i just want to let you know that i can still do it and then drag me to hell kicked serious ass love that movie that's what i want from peter jackson is just to show up and be like i know i'm kind of a prestige guy i know that i'm who you look to to make incredible technological advances i mean Peter Jackson has made every technological advance that Zemeckis has been chasing for his whole career. And I love Zemeckis, but, you know, Peter Jackson gets it done. He is Weta. You know, he is that guy. Peter Jackson kind of gave us, uh, what's his name? Fuck, why can't I think of the guy who plays Smeagol? Gollum. Oh, Um, yeah. (laughs) Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis. He, like, gave us him, and he's a gift from God. And, uh, you know, and so... I, I would just love to see him just be like, well, now that I have all of these tools and I have all this power, I want to make you something that I want to make that's original as opposed to touching up something yeah. old or stepping into a franchise. And I, I am confident that we'll see it, especially with what right. you just said about King Kong is like, the dude just doesn't want to stop working. 
You know, he, yeah. he wants to constantly produce. And I, you know, he's like McKenzie like that. He's just, he's drawn to it. And I, I just respect it. I, I hope we get another dead alive sort of thing. Yeah, that would be really cool to see. I mean, and I think you, that's a good point. I, I would say from, you know, from an outsider's perspective, from, you know, going back to our, our point about like, it's all just stories. Like from what I know of Sam Raimi versus Peter Jackson is it sort of seemed like, Sam Raimi kind of felt like he maybe had something to prove at that point. Yeah. Whereas it kind of feels a little bit like Peter Jackson doesn't feel that way. Yeah. He's kind of like, I've made the movies that I have wanted to make. I've gotten to make the biggest stuff that I've wanted to make, but I'm still excited by making bigger and sort of crazier stuff. But at the same time, you know, getting drawn into these, you know, uh, a different style of storytelling with, the war documentary with the Beatles documentary, it kind of almost seems like he's looking at storytelling in a different way. So I, I would love to see Peter Jackson set that restriction on himself to be like, I want to, you know, I want Blumhouse to produce my next yeah. horror movie. So I have that $5 million cap and I have, you know, Jason Blum breathing down my neck a little bit. And I have like all the restrictions that come with that. But at the same time, I think he would only do that if he felt like he had something to prove. And yeah. I kind of get the sense that he doesn't. He almost And he really doesn't like... have anything to prove. I mean, he yeah. has earned his spot. His only yeah. misstep for me was the Hobbit movies. And from yeah. what I've heard about their production, they're like an incredible feat of just completion. Like the fact that they're right. done and coherent at all, I think speaks to his talent as someone who didn't even want to make them, but managed to expand a pamphlet of a book into a nine hour, three movie epic and did yeah. it in a way that was experimenting with new technology and high frame rates yeah. and all that shit. So right. yeah, I mean, even, even his fuck ups were ones that were pretty monumentally important in terms of the tech. And right. I, I think that, yeah, he's, he doesn't have anything to prove, but I also think he seems like such a playful guy that he might get a crazy idea of just like a vampire movie or something. And then he's got to do it. And I look forward I to that so. day. Yeah. Yeah. We'll cross yeah. our fingers. <laughs> I want to do it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Woody Fentress, filmmaker extraordinaire, the guy who thank brings you. his Star Wars action figures to see Star Wars movies. That's right. That, that was when I knew we could be friends. Um, <laughs> That's right. Is there a, a throw some more plugs at us before we wrap it up? Yeah, uh, I'll shout it out again. I just um, just started the YouTube channel for Broken Bread, which is my uh, production company, uh, you know, based in Philadelphia. And I started it because um, I wanted a place where all the stuff that I was was making, whether it be films or live streams that I'm producing or other pieces of, you know, digital art or media or you know, thing, live action, interactive media that you can uh, engage with, like, so that they could all just be in one place. And so I, uh, so I started this channel and uh, Dan, you're going to link it down in the description, which I really appreciate. So yes. I really just hope that people can like pop to, you know, go there, watch, uh, watch the films that I'm making, watch the other things that I'm involved, be involved in, and, and hopefully not just be inspired by the work that I'm making, but also hopefully find other creators that, you know, that they love. And if they like games, if they like music, if they like all sorts of other things, they're like, oh, wow, I didn't even know there was all these other independent artists making these things. And so, um, so yeah, if folks go to the Broken Bread channel, subscribe to it, 
you know, click the notification bell, watch all the videos, comment, like all that good stuff. It's, it's just, uh, it, it really makes me happy that, you know, the stuff that I'm making with the, the fellow artists that I'm fortunate enough to work with, it's getting out to people. And, and hopefully one of those people will watch something, get excited and then find me and scream in my face about it. Cause that's right on. So happy. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, I, I'm happy to scream in your face, but it's not going to have any weight. I just like to scream. But, <laughs> yeah. So that will be in the show notes to so make sure you guys check that out. And we'll definitely have you on again as more stuff Thank happens. Um, For sure. And also make sure you like and subscribe at Movie Movie Cast. And for everything else, check out scullyvision.com. Uh, if you're interested in hearing my annoying voice even more, check out Hot Property. It's available on all of the podcast catchers. Um, it's just my comedy pod that I do with my buddy Steve. Shout out, Steve. So uh, check all of that out. Uh, I like to movie movies, part of the Movie John Podcast Network. So hop on there. Got some great shows. Check those out as well. So Woody, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I like to movie movie. Ladies and gentlemen, I love you all.